the Typecast Movie Show. Here we go with Jack Safer as your host. The quintessential podcast for movie reviews. Everything from Marvel to indie films to its friends and fun and movies. Here we go. It's the Typecast Movie Show. Welcome back to the Typecast Movie Show. I'm your host, Jack Safer, and this is episode number 21. I'm going to be talking about Solo, a Star Wars story today. And right off the bat, I'll just let you guys know that I'm not going to... Sometimes for movies, I do like half spoilers, half non-spoilers. But this movie's already been out for like two weeks, and it's. I'm just going to talk about it with... I mean, there's not like that many spoilers, but if you haven't seen the movie or you... Um, plan on seeing it and you don't want to know anything, I'll just let you know um, right off the top to just pause this uh, and save it for later until after you've seen the movie. Um, I feel like before I go into the actual movie itself, it's important for context's sake to talk about what happened to this movie and how it came to be. This movie was, when it was officially announced, like, uh, I don't know, a few years ago, I didn't really care or feel like it was a movie that I needed to see or was a necessary movie, but I had faith that they were going to make it something great because they have a good track record. And they hired uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who did the Lego movie. They did 21 Jump Street. They did Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. They're really funny guys. And it seemed like they were on the right track for this movie. And then... I think it was like the reports were that they were like 90% or 80% of the way done filming the movie and then they got fired for quote unquote creative differences. And that's a whole other thing because Kathleen Kennedy, the head of Lucasfilm, has now gone through Josh Trank, who was supposed to make a Boba Fett movie. He got fired. Um, there were alleged conflicts between her and JJ on episode seven. Um, Gareth Edwards got kicked off the project towards the end of Rogue One, and they had someone else come and do the reshoots instead. Uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller kicked off the set. And then Colin Trevorrow, who did Jurassic World, was supposed to do Episode Nine, uh, got the boot before they started production. So that's a whole other thing, but bottom line, they're kicked off the project. Ron Howard comes in, allegedly reshoots the entire movie, uh, ups the budget a lot, making this what people are saying is the most expensive Star Wars movie ever made. And it was definitely worrisome, especially for me, because Rogue One, when it was going through all the reshoots, people were, I think, kind of like over-exaggerating about what was going on in the set, and I didn't really ever question whether or not the movie was going to be good, and I ended up enjoying uh, Rogue One quite a bit. But this time it felt like how I don't I don't understand completely how you get through ninety percent of a movie and then realize that you've hired the wrong directors or have creative differences. It feels like those are the kinds of things that are mapped out before you even choose directors for a project. So I was just starting to question what exactly was going on over at Lucasfilm, but they kept the May release date that they had, and they had cemented the December as their Star Wars month, but they decided we're going back to May because that's when original Star Wars came out. And um, this movie, besides what critics are saying or besides what 
fans are saying is a flop. It's not going to make its money back. And at the end of this podcast, after I give my thoughts on the movie, I'm going to talk about why I think that is, uh, that it is a flop, which is kind of a crazy thing to say, thinking that after Force Awakens can come out and be like the number three highest grossing movie of all time internationally, the number one domestically, that uh, just like three years later, a Star Wars movie could come out and not even be profitable. But I went into this movie not really knowing what to think. I knew that it had kind of mixed reviews, but I had talked to people that had varying amounts of opinions from this is my favorite of the new Star Wars movies to this movie is garbage. And I actually really enjoyed the movie a lot. I thought it was more different than any Star Wars movie I'd ever seen, which was kind of a nice change of pace from we've had Episode 7, Rogue One, Episode 8, and Solo. Those ones, they weren't necessarily heavy movies, but they're very involved. Like, there's always things happening. And this movie kind of just felt like a fun adventure heist movie with fun characters, good writing, and it was just very solid all the way around. That's not to say that the movie doesn't have problems, because it definitely has problems, but overall, I just, I had a great time watching the movie, uh, and so I'll, I usually, sometimes I'll divide this up into things I liked and things I didn't like, so I'll kind of do that, but I'm just going to kind of go through the movie itself. Right off the bat, they, I think they did a great job of correcting what I think they didn't do a great job of in Rogue One with the opening crawl. It was kind of jarring in Rogue One. I'm okay if they decide they don't want to do opening crawls for the standalone movies. That's their choice, whatever. But it didn't feel like they found the right thing to replace it with. They kind of just cut into the movie. This time I thought... And then they had that awful Rogue One logo. I don't know if you remember. It looked like somebody made it on Photoshop like an hour before the movie came out. This time they still didn't do the opening crawl, but they had more of a... I don't know what you would call this instead of an opening crawl, but it was kind of just a a continuation of a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. They just tell you a little bit what you need to know. But even even that, I didn't think it was necessary for this movie, but regardless, I thought it was better than what they did for Rogue One. And then they had a a great logo for Solo, which was good to see. Um, Then we go straight into the movie. You get to see uh, Han's upbringing with Kira on Corellia. I mean, that's what it's called. And... He's basically an orphan. He lives in this kind of dump of a town. And it goes straight into this chase sequence, which I thought was a fun way to open the movie. Uh, It looked cool visually. And you get to get some more of the relationship between Han and Kira. And I thought that... I'll say right off... Third time I said right off the bat. I'll say right now that I think Alden Ehrenreich was a perfect Han Solo. Uh, I'd say it took like two minutes for me to be like wondering. And then I didn't think about it for the rest of the movie. He was just Han Solo. He wasn't a Harrison Ford impression, but it was more like he, he embodied what Han Solo represented, which was the scoundrel who kind of plays both sides of the line. And his mannerisms I thought were, especially some of the later scenes with Lando were very, um, felt very Han Solo esque to me. So I, I thought he was just did a great job and. Uh, so we get to see kind of his upbringing and then he gets separated from Kira and he decides to sign up for the empire. And by far the, (laughs) the hardest I've rolled my eyes in a movie that I can remember in a long time when he signs up and gets the last name solo because he's alone. And he's like, Oh, Han, you're alone. I'll call you solo. Just so dumb. 
is so dumb. Like, I feel like I could see an SNL parody of this movie where that would be one of the jokes that they would include. It was, it was so unnecessary too. Like who I, I'm trying to think about in the writer's room who was like, you know what? We need to know why he's called Han Solo. It, it couldn't just be a name. They couldn't just have named him Han Solo from the Solo family. It has to be about his character. Really dumb. They could have done that a thousand different ways if they wanted to make his name not really Han Solo. They could have, like, why, why would, if he hated the Empire, why would he keep the name? Like, later on in life. If the Empire gave him that name. Stupid. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, so he goes into the Empire, working for the Empire. They go into an action scene, which was cool, but I thought the cinematography for that scene was not the best, and I think that kind of speaks to the entire movie, was uh, just kind of subpar, especially from what I've come to expect from a Star Wars movie. It, it didn't look great. It kind of looked like, I guess gross is the best way to describe it. It's like these like yellows and browns and greens that were like kind of unappealing to look at, which I was kind of surprised by, but... Uh, Ends up meeting Chewbacca. I loved the way he met Chewbacca. I thought that entire scene was great. He yeah, they, he fights with Chewbacca. I even thought it was funny. And I, I went online and I saw some people were saying that they didn't like how he spoke to Chewbacca in the Wookiee language. I actually thought it was kind of funny. I liked that. Uh, they decide they're going to escape together. As you know, they're of course they're going to. And I, I don't know if this was intentional or if it was just my mind, but it looked like when Chewbacca had... Han pinned down in the mud that he kind of looked like he was frozen in the carbonite. Like it, it kind of looked like it was a mirroring of that moment. I don't know if that was intentional or if that was just me thinking that, but regardless, that was a cool scene. They escaped together. Uh, then we kind of meet Woody Harrelson and his crew, like for the first time as Han Solo's crew, I thought that they were fine. I thought that the Danny Newton and John Favreau characters, I don't remember their names, the monkey and the Woody Harrelson's love interest were fine. They obviously didn't last very long. Uh, but I liked Woody's character, Beckett. I thought he was uh, a character that I definitely could see them doing more with if they decide to give some backstory or do whatever they want to do with a TV show. Or I think I could see him coming back in some way. Uh, obviously not now because he got smoked at the end of the movie. But I think... Uh, he was a cool addition, and then we get. I liked. I liked how Han got his blaster. I thought that that was really cool. The way he kind of got it from Beckett, and it, it there's a reason he still has it to this day. And that that I think was the prime example of how you reference the later movies without explicitly saying, "Oh, Kessel Run." <laughs> you know, I think just that little moment where he looks down at the blaster, and as the audience, you know why that moment is so special, but they don't beat you over the head with why it's special. He just gets it, and then it's on to the next scene. I thought that was really cool, and I think it was a good example. On the flip side, there's the scene where he's talking to Chewbacca, and he goes, well, what's your name? Chewbacca? Whoa, I'm going to need a nickname for you. It's, it's that, that's the kind of stuff that makes me upset. Like, it just feels lazy. Like, we know, what, we know what you're talking about. You don't need to say it. There's so many better ways to do that. And I think that's the stuff in this movie, other than some pacing issues and the cinematography that bugged me the most, was when it was self-referential without being subtle about it. Uh, so they, we get introduced to Paul Bettany's character and the whole Crimson Dawn organization. I thought that th those were great components of the movie. I thought Paul Bettany's character, I wish he had more screen time, but when he was on screen, he was intimidating and he played the part great and... I don't know his name, but he's has like the scars. I don't know. 
and we get reintroduced to Kira. So far, so good. The movie was moving along quickly enough, and I was enjoying it thoroughly at this point. Uh, and then we uh, learn their new plan about how they're going to get back the... Oh, God. Calaxium? Calaxium? I don't know what it's called. The blue stuff for... Uh, oh, did I skip over the train sequence? Yeah, yeah. I didn't like the train sequence. I thought it was... I That was when I, my mind started to drift. I was like, okay, this is fine. Like, it was just action. And then we got the deaths of these characters that I didn't really care about. Yeah, so we get back to... They've lost all the Calaxium, and they need to get more of it. So they, uh, tell, they tell Paul Bettany's character that they're going to go to the space mines of Kessel, which, of course, if you watch the original ones, you know that that's, he's going to have to get help from Lando and that's where the castle run is going to happen. All stuff we knew was going to happen in this movie. And, uh, we got some kind of quieter moments on the, um, between Woody Harrelson and Han and I keep calling Woody Harrelson, Beckett and Han and Han and Kira. I thought all the stuff that was there really, was really good. And, you know, Kira says, I know somebody that's going to help us. Of course, it's going to be Lando who I just thought, as soon as they go to see Lando and you hear his voice, you're like, that's, that's Lando. It's not uh, childish Gambino doing a Billy D. Williams impression. It's Lando. And that whole Sabak scene was great where he, he calls it Sabak and he says, no, it's Sabak. And he says, all right, Han. And he says, no, it's Han. And just the way I, that was such like a nice little thing about how throughout this movie, he calls him Han, like Billy D. Williams called Harrison Ford Han. Uh, really, really cool. This whole Sabak scene was really cool to watch, even though you have no idea what's going on. Uh, it was just like very well filmed, I felt like. And then, uh, yeah, so then we get uh, introduction to L3, who probably my least favorite part of this movie. I didn't think she was funny or... I don't, I don't really know what they were trying to do with her. I know, like, she was, like, arguing for droid equality, but... Uh, uh, it felt like a storyline that I just didn't care about. Like, I mean, she was kind of annoying too. I didn't really feel anything when she dies later in the movie. It just like a, it felt like kind of what they were trying to do with K2SO, but K2SO worked a lot better for me than L3 did. Um, and like her whole relationship with Lando, it, none of that really worked for me. That was definitely like probably my least favorite thing about the movie. Uh, then we get, uh, what happens next? Oh yeah, they, they go into the Falcon for the first time. Just a great scene, seeing the Falcon in its condition as it is now, where it's all fresh looking, and Han sees it for the first time, and it's another kind of thing, like the blaster, where as the audience, you know the significance of Han being on the Falcon for the first time, but Han doesn't know, and that's that's the kind of stuff that I think is satisfying, as opposed to when he's like, if he were to be like, I feel like this ship and I are going to have a, you know, a future together, or something like that, then that's the kind of stuff that would piss me off. So I'm glad that they didn't uh, beat you over the head with the importance of that moment. Um, then they go to Kessel. I thought, I have mixed feelings about what happens on Kessel because I thought that the they were, first of all, they were on Kessel for way too long. I think this movie is too long as it is. I think for a heist action adventure movie, which it is, it shouldn't be over two hours. And it was, I think, 15 minutes too long. I think you cut out a lot of the stuff on Kessel and it flows a lot better. Uh, you get in and out really quickly. I thought the music, this was the first time that I started to notice how much I was liking the music, uh, the score on Kessel. It was just really nice to listen to. And it was gave me like parts of the Caribbean vibes. And it was very different than regular star Wars movie. Uh, like I feel like in rogue one, 
was when I started to realize that Star Wars music kind of started to feel more generic and like it you watch the original Star Wars movies and those themes are so iconic and it felt like Rogue One started to blend into the background but I felt like this this music stood out for sure uh, which was great it, and it was really different so I, I like that a lot um, but yeah just way too much time on Kessel again I didn't really care about what L3 was doing with the droids I did like the Chewbacca moment where Chewbacca uh, goes to save the other Wookiees, even though the Wookiees looked kind of terrible <laughs> with the effects. That, I don't. It it looked pretty bad, and then they get in in there. They get out. Um, L three dies. Lando goes to save her, uh, and I, I like that. The it felt very. If any of you have watched Game of Thrones, it felt it reminded me a lot of the Battle of the Bastards. The way it was filmed, where it was tracking behind Lando and he was like sliding under things and going over things. That was a really cool shot where he goes to save L3 and then Chewbacca saves both of them. Lando gets shot. Um, that was fine. And then this is, this is where the movie really picked up, picked up for me right here. I would say is when it solidified it as something that I was like excited about and excited to see what was happening. Um, even though I wasn't a huge fan of the castle run itself, mostly because they didn't really explain what they were doing. Like we know, or I guess most people know that Han says to Obi-Wan in A New Hope, in a New Hope it's the ship that made the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs, or less than 12 parsecs. And when Lando says, there's no way you can make this in less than 20, you know, okay, this is where it happens. But So, all right, here's what I've gathered. So a parsec is a unit of distance, not time. So it's not like it's the kind of thing where he's like 12 minutes. It's he has to take a shortcut, essentially, which is why he goes around... And it, so I was just confused about what was happening, I guess, was my least favorite part. But I liked, I liked the whole thing with that squid monster where it gets sucked into like that black hole and you think that the ship is going to get sucked in, but they, uh, fly away. Pretty cool. I like that. And then, uh, we, we see that whole planet, uh, that they crash land on with, uh, I don't know this character's name. I pulled it up cause I knew I was going to forget it. Um, oh, that doesn't help me at all. Enfi's Nest. It's the character that they met on the train, Heist, and she kind of looks like a young Maya Rudolph. And I thought that that whole th thing was great. And my, probably my favorite moment of the movie, where I, at least my biggest laugh was where Han's saying, you know, we have like 30 guns hired on that ship, and I, I just give them one signal, and they all come out, and then Lando flies away in the ship. Oh, also, oh my god, one of my favorite parts of the movie was <laughs> when... Uh, when Lando says, I hate you, and Han says, I know, just like, again, a nice moment hearkening back to, uh, or I guess forwards to Empire Strikes Back, where Leia says, I love you, and Han says, I know, uh, a nice little touch there, and it's, uh, Lando leaving the first time is like the first sign of his be his betrayal to Han, which can, will continue to be a nice thing, so that, again, these are the moments that, as an audience, are satisfying because you know what's going to happen, but the movie doesn't take the time to point out to you why it's satisfying. I guess that's, I guess that's how I would summarize the kinds of things I liked in this movie versus the kinds of things I didn't like. Uh, and then Beckett decides that he can't be a part of this anymore. He leaves to find a big shot gangster on Tatooine, which of course is Jabba the Hutt, and he leaves presumably for the rest of the movie. But of course, you know because he made that line earlier in the movie about don't trust anyone you know he's going to come back and betray Han which he does after they've gone back to Paul Bettany and Paul Bettany knows that they're trying to or he thinks that they're trying to trick him he comes out and he says I told you not to trust anyone and this would have this this almost pissed me off it almost pissed me off because it was so predictable that 
after Woody Harrelson said that line, I was like, the only way that they can make this line not stupid is if he actually doesn't betray him and the audience gets tricked. But he betrays him, and I'm thinking, oh, this is dumb. But I think it was it was a smart move because Han... Han was paying attention too, and he said, "You know, people are predictable." I think I think Han knowing that Beckett was going to betray him redeems the moment from being a stupid throwaway, predictable thing. To it was predictable, and that's why Han got the upper hand of the moment. Um, they have that big fight sequence. Beckett takes Chewbacca and has him at gunpoint, and uh, I thought the fight scene with Amelia Clark's character, who I haven't said much about in this movie, because honestly. I love Game of Thrones, and I think Amelia Clark is good, but she didn't really impress me in this movie. She wasn't bad. She just was, like, I thought very fine. She, like, did her part, but not a particularly interesting character. Maybe some of the stuff they set up at the end of the movie can be explored more, and I'd like to see where it goes, but I just thought for the most part she was fine. Uh, you know she's not going to betray Han. She has, like, the knife to his chest, and you know she's going to switch it on Paul Bettany's character, which she does. Uh, she kills him. Han goes to save... Chewbacca, and I don't remember the order of these events. I'm pretty sure... All right, yeah, so I'll say it like this. So uh, Han goes and chases after Beckett, and, of course, uh, we get our redemption for Han shoots first, or Han doesn't shoot first. He kills Beckett while he's monologuing, and it's... I guess guess that's what's supposed to be our setup for, because I was actually thinking... During the movie, I think it was when they first met um, Enfi's Nest. It was when they first met her. I was thinking, and Han was like, I'm a bad guy. And I was thinking, like, okay, he, he says he's a bad guy, but I don't I don't see this guy as the kind of guy who's going to shoot Greedo in cold blood if we're talking about that Han shoots first moment, even though that's not canon anymore. He didn't shoot Greedo first, technically, but... Uh, in the in terms of Han Solo as a character, I'm like I don't know. I'm like this guy reminds me of Han Solo, but I don't think he's there yet. And then they kind of come full circle, and he ends up killing Beckett at the end of the movie, and it's that's that this is the setup for who Han Solo is going to become. I thought that was all uh, really well done, and that was like the final thing he needed. And then we get, of course, the big um, big reveal of the movie that the person that. Uh, Paul Bettany's character was actually working for and the person that Amelia Clark is actually working for is none other than um, Darth Maul, who... Alright, so I had to do a little bit of research, but... So Darth Maul seemed to die after Phantom Menace, but didn't die. He was resurrected in one of the TV shows and now has robot legs. So that's why he's still alive, because this movie takes place like 30 or 40 or however many years after Phantom Menace. Um, he's still alive, and he's part of this Crimson Dawn organization, and Amelia Clark is working for him, which was cool. I thought they had the temptation, and prob- for me, the expectation that they were going to bring back probably Boba Fett, probably Jabba, maybe Darth Vader, you know, because when you, it's I'm sure it's tempting for Lucasfilm to be like, who else can we put in this movie? So I... I appreciated that they showed restraint and didn't just throw... Because I, I thought for sure, if I had put money on it, I would have 100% put money on the fact that Boba Fett was going to pop up in this movie at some point. I think most people thought he would. Uh, but I thought it was cool. I didn't expect I didn't expect to see Maul. And it's very clear that they're setting up for more 
which I'll talk about when I talk about where, what went wrong with this movie in terms of box office and if we will ever get more movies, which I don't know. But I thought that was a great reveal, um, and that's kind of left open-ended. We get to see his lightsaber. For some reason, he decides to ignite it. And then, finally, we get to see Han go back. And I actually I liked the fake-out where you think, because you know that Han's, Han eventually wins the Falcon from... Lando in the game of Sabacc, and you think it's going to be the first time they play, but he loses, and then when he goes back, you're like, of course, this is where he wins it, and he uh, figures out Lando's trick of hiding the card up his sleeve, and he, <laughs> I liked I liked where Lando was like kept reaching for his wrist and didn't have it, and Han's like, are you sure you have everything you need? Are you all good? Because uh, he knows that Lando's about to lose, and he does, and he gets the Falcon, and it sets up in the way that Rogue One set up for... A New Hope very nicely. I think this movie is set up for another Han Solo movie or another movie with some of these characters very nicely. Like, they could click this movie into another movie that they make very nicely with the ends that they leave. And I left, I walked out of the movie and I was very satisfied with what I saw. I had a great time. I had a a few problems, but overall, just so much fun. And let me make sure that was everything I wanted to talk about and I'm not leaving anything out. Um, Yeah, I think, think those are the standouts for me. Uh... And then in terms of sequels, what went wrong with this movie? All right, so like I said in the beginning of this, this movie is not going to be profitable. It's not going to It's not going to be profitable. It's a flop. And that's a big deal when you're Lucasfilm. And not only is this a Star Wars movie, it's the most expensive Star Wars movie you've ever made. For me, it's pretty obvious where they went wrong with this. First of all, you don't... First, first, first and foremost... This, nobody was asking for this movie. Nobody was like, you have the entire universe of Star Wars. What do you want to see? I want to see how Han Solo met Chewbacca and did the Kessel Run, which essentially this movie is. It's about hearing about, seeing the things that we've heard about Han Solo before, which I enjoyed seeing, but I wasn't asking for it. You know, This movie doesn't really have any right to exist other than that it's fun. So I think just from, and nobody was asking for Rogue One, but... I think they made up for that in the marketing that they did for the movie and the way that they positioned it. So that leads me into what what else went wrong for this movie. I think they should not have moved off of the December release date for multiple reasons. For me, now I started to associate December and Christmas time with Star Wars. And I think a lot of people started to do that. And that is kind of like... It's like building a hype for the movie without even having to do promotion because you're like, oh, it's about to be Christmas time. We're getting a Star Wars movie. Nope, not this year because they decided to put it in May for because I guess they wanted to. Uh, Memorial weekend apparently is like a very bad weekend to release movies, so I don't really understand the logic there. But also, I think if I had to make a guess, this is not based on anything I've heard. I think they were probably expecting Last Jedi to be better received by fans. And even me, someone who came out of the last Jedi, like that, like I didn't, I didn't love it, but I was like, that was pretty good. Has kind of soured on the movie. As I think about it, it, it starts to feel a little bit hollow to me. Once you get past all the spectacle and all the things that happen, but don't really happen and setups for things. And it just kind of exists. Like it's not my favorite star Wars movie. It's definitely not my least favorite star Wars movie, but it's not the force awakens or rogue one or even solo to me. It's just, a movie and there's people that feel a lot more strongly on both sides of the argument, but regardless, it was divisive. It completely tore apart 
Star Wars fans because there were people that hated it and people that loved it. And I think Lucasfilm was expecting it to be generally well-received across the board, and they were thinking that that hype would carry the momentum forward into Solo, and it didn't. They also didn't release even a teaser for this movie until February 5th or February 6th or whenever it was, the Super Bowl this year, which three months before a Star Wars movie, that's when you start promoting it. doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think the drama behind the set had a big hand in why this movie didn't do well, and it just... All these things kind of came together in a movie that had, like, people were hearing things about, they weren't very excited about, they didn't love the last Star Wars movie, and it was, even me, I didn't see this movie until two weeks after it came out, over two weeks after it came out, because I was like, "Eh, it's it's just a Han Solo movie, it's not episode nine, and I think that that's the mentality that Marvel has found a way to get around, that movies like Black Panther are not Infinity War, but they're still making insane amounts of money at the box office because it feels like you need... you. It's it's like it's like skipping an episode of a TV show and just watching this, the finale of the season. That's what it feels like for Marvel. So you don't. So you see all of them. Star Wars is starting to feel like eh, you can skip this one, but go see this one. And I think they need to get beat that mentality somehow by either upping connectivity or upping quality of the movies in the fans' eyes of pleasing like more people. I don't know if this means that Kathleen Kennedy shouldn't be the head of Lucasfilm anymore. That's I don't know if that's like for me to take a position on, but I think it means that they start to need they need to start looking at different things because if I had to guess, they've announced or I guess they haven't announced. They've announced episode 9 we know is coming. We know that Ryan Johnson allegedly was or not allegedly, it was confirmed was working on a trilogy, but who knows that that's going to happen anymore. Um, the creators of Game of Thrones were making Star Wars movies. Uh, there was an Obi-Wan movie in the works. There was a Boba Fett movie in the works from James Mangold. I I have no idea what's going to happen anymore. If I had to guess, I would say that the Obi-Wan movie was actually kind of an Obi-Wan, Darth Maul, Kira continuation of these characters' movie and that they were going to do another solo movie and that they had more room to do with these characters. I don't think that's going to happen anymore. I think they're going to do an Obi-Wan movie and maybe Maul will appear. I don't think we're going to see... If I had to take a guess, I would say we don't see Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo in his own movie on screen, at least for the time being. Maybe they do a Lando movie and he pops up, but it just... It's a tough position for Lucasfilm to be in because it was clear that they they wanted to continue this. They left it on a note of we're going to do more movies... I don't know if that's going to happen anymore. I think this puts insane amounts of pressure on episode nine because if episode nine doesn't do well at the box office or doesn't do as well as they think, they are in a serious position because that's this is the end of the trilogy, the movie that should be doing the most box office. I, I don't doubt that The Last Jedi, or sorry, that episode nine is going to be profitable, but I just think that they need to start reevaluating what they're doing, and I'm sure that's what they're doing right now after seeing Solo. But that's all I have to say about the movie. Again, overall, I really enjoyed watching it. I would see it again for sure, and uh, I, w- I would definitely recommend it. So uh, what do you think of Solo? Definitely let me know, because uh, I'd love to hear what other people are thinking about the movie. And remember to follow me on Instagram at Jack Safer or at Typecast Movie Show. Uh, now that it's summer, I'm definitely going to have more time to be posting reviews. I saw Deadpool 2. I probably won't do a review for that because I saw it so long ago, but I liked that. 
Uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to do more this summer. So thank you so much for listening and I'll see you guys next time.